We go back to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. When it comes to films or programs on TV, I have a question for you. What's the most least watched part of any film or TV program? The closing credits. In fact, uh, the closing credits, uh, at times if you watch anything on TV, they actually at times speed it up to quadruple speed. So you can't even read the words as they go across the screen of who was the producer and the director and the actors and all of that. And they even have people that I'm not even sure in some of these things what they are, the gaffer and the best grip and these type of things. I have no idea who those people are, but these are all these people that are, are part of this that made everything work for whatever that production was. And it times it's just completely ignored uh, by most people. And well, that's kind of what happens when you get to Romans chapter 16 and the end of some of the other of Paul's letters. You just kind of go, oh, a bunch of people whose names I don't know. It really doesn't matter. And so we just kind of go running over the, the ending credits, the closing credits of these books and, and never really pay attention to what is actually going on and who these people are and, and what is being said about them and why under the Holy Spirit that perhaps these writers added these people's names uh, for us to at least consider. Because think about this, that as you go through the Scripture, that all things are given in the Scriptures for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and righteousness. Uh, there's a purpose behind them. And you say, well, what might the purpose uh, be here? Uh, why is uh, this passage of Scripture so lengthy? In fact, as you look at Romans, this is the lengthiest uh, greeting section that Paul writes in any of his books. I mean, everyone, he does this, and there's reason for that as we get, as we get into this, we'll, we'll talk about it. But uh, it was a regular part of Paul's letters that he wrote to different places and to different people. But what you see in these lists is it simply could be described this way, is that you can see this, that believers genuinely enjoy fellowship with other believers, regardless of wherever they may be from. Okay? Believers and genuinely enjoy fellowship with other believers. And it's regardless of where the people may be from, they enjoy the fellowship with other believers. As you go through this, you say, well, how many greetings are there in this section? Well, if you went through and counted... And you get it uh, in the Greek language. Uh, this word uh, salute or commend or greet uh, is used uh, some, well, 16 times, or excuse me, 19 times uh, it's used. That's 16 of the sentences that Paul starts in this section. There's at least that many that he starts it with the word salute or greet. And you say, well, why does uh, Paul do this? Well, think about this. The greeting served more, uh, greeting of so many people has more than one function. It reveals that there's a warm relationship characterizing the Christian community. See, what happened uh, in uh, these churches, and you found churches scattered by the time Paul is done with his ministry across the Mediterranean area and other places, is that you didn't have a whole lot of fellowship with one another in some ways because you didn't have a phone call that you could make to somebody or video conference or zoom or be able to do those type of things and and even if you wanted to send a letter back in this culture you didn't have a postal service going on didn't happen uh usually as we will see in this letter you found somebody that was headed in a certain direction and said hey can you drop off this letter at such and such a location or with such and such a person and give this letter to them when you're on your travels. Now, on some occasions, it was intentional for these people to take letters from one location to another, but it seems like in other times there are people that are going a certain way and the Apostle Paul would oftentimes send a letter with them and say, you're going in that direction. I'm giving you this letter. Drop it off with them. And so when you had the opportunity to write and to get in contact with people, uh, you would greet them. 
Because you don't know, you wouldn't know when would be the next opportunity that you had at least an opportunity to say hello uh, to any of these individuals, uh, just to let alone writing to, excuse me, writing to them, but then uh, even seeing them. Because back in that culture, they didn't travel as much as we are accustomed to doing. Uh, and so it may very well be that you wouldn't see people very often. And so as Paul's writing these letters, he's saluting, greeting people that he's familiar with, uh, that he knows are in certain locations, uh, and greeting them knowing, well, in some ways that with the Apostle Paul and the way that he prayed, uh, when he's greeting them, he's probably been praying for them too. But it's just his way of acknowledging that they're there. And you say, well, why? And, and think about this. As Paul is writing this letter to the Romans, he has never been to this church. Okay, that's something we forget. He's, he's never been to this church in Rome. He's got one other letter, like the church to Colossae. He had never been to that church. But more often than not, Paul had been in the church and had been there and seen people get saved and that type of thing. Uh, this church at Rome, it's a, different because he's never, ever been there. And he's writing people and he's saying, it's this, I'm sending you greetings. And you're just saying, that's kind of odd. Why would Paul be able to send greetings to people? In some cases, he's never even met. That would seem kind of weird in our society for you to get things from people you don't know and they're saying hello. Usually if you get those type of things, they go in the trash bin on your email or they go into the garbage if it's mail. Uh, you're just like, I don't know who this person is. What's the connection here? That Paul can suddenly send greetings to people in many cases he's never met, doesn't know, doesn't know very well, and send them greetings. And you can see it in the fact as you read through it, and it's very subtle as you read throughout it, you ought to just check out how many times it says in Christ and in, 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 in the Lord. I just want us to kind of go through uh, this letter very quickly, this section very quickly, and see how many times you find in Christ or in the Lord. As you go through in verse 2, you have Paul saying about Phoebe that this one, you receive her in the Lord. Okay, as you would the Lord, you receive her. Or verse 3, you see that you have Priscilla and Aquila, that these are people who were helpers in Christ Jesus. They were ones who worked in Christ. Or in verse number 5, you see this, Likewise, greet the church that's in their house. Salute my well-beloved Epinetus, who is the firstfruits in Acacia unto Christ. Here's someone who got saved. He's in Christ. Or verse number seven, uh, you have salute and Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen, my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who were also uh, in Christ before me. These are people who got saved before me. They were in Christ before me. Or verse number eight, uh, you have greet and Pleius, uh, my beloved in the Lord. Or verse number nine, that you salute Urbane, our helper in Christ. Uh, verse number 10, salute Apelles, approved, tested in Christ. Uh, verse number uh, 11, you see, uh, salute Herodian, my kinsmen, greet them of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. So you have this household of individuals. Narcissus doesn't seem to be saved, but there are servants and slaves that seem to be, and he's just saying these are people who are in the Lord. Or verse number uh, 12, you see this two times. Salute Tryphena and Trephonosis, uh, who labor in the Lord. Salute beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord. Or 13, salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord. And then you go on uh, as you, you have, and it does not say that anymore, but there is a connection in Christ. See, there is a connection between believers. because we're in christ it's not that we have certain tastes that we like the same kind of food or we like the same kind of music and we might go to concerts or we might uh, go to the same uh ball fields that people go to or we work in the same workplace no you look in every church and you look at the group of people gathered in those churches and you just kind of shake your head and go how in the world did people get together like that there is no commonness between any of them. 
background, nationality, race, social status, their likes, they aren't the same. But then there's the equalizer, the thing that connects them, the one that puts them together and makes them one to another, and that's Christ. See, Christ changes things and allows us to, well, become family with people who aren't necessarily our family, to be connected with them. And even though you might not know them really, really well, you have this appreciation for individuals that you go, that person's a Christian. I mean, do you not feel that kind of affinity, especially when you're in a restaurant and you're sitting there and there's someone across the room that bows their head before the meal and they pray and you're going... I've never met this person, but I think they're a Christian. Now, some of you would be embarrassed to do this, but you know what? You go over and go, hey, I saw you pray. Are you a Christian? You never met the person before. But there's an affinity that goes on because we're in Christ. There's a connection. We know someone. He knows us and we know him and there's a connection. And for some of these people, Paul knew well, but for some of these people, Paul just knew him by name. But he's greeting him and going, you're someone who's doing something for Christ. You're someone who's in Christ and he's greeting them. It's important for him to do this because there is a connection and it is because of Christ. Paul was able to make all these greetings. It's not that Paul was a great people person or that type of thing. No, he's just realizing, hey, there's someone else that knows the Lord. Someone else who is doing a work for Christ. I mean, this list, as you look at it, it's diverse. The people that are included in this list. I mean, if you look at this list, it's not, you know, sometimes Christianity gets accused of this, that uh, at times that women aren't important. And the fact is, as you look at the list here, there's nine of these people who are listed that are women. And they are doing things for the Lord. And we'll look at some of them that are doing things uh, uh, for the Lord. They shared in the ministry. Uh, You have individuals who are non-christians who are named that there's people in their household that are slaves more than likely in fact looking at some of the names that are contained in here uh, you see that there are names that are in greek latin roman and there's some that are obviously jews because paul says these people are my kinsmen and you go what do you mean by kinsmen they're jews but for the most part you look at this list and it would have been uh, kind of uh, saying what the roman church was like there's a number of names that are greek latin and roman and it would indicate the fact that the church was mainly gentile but there were jews in the church you have husband and wife combinations, or perhaps uh, when it comes to uh, number, verse number seven, Adriankis and Junia, uh, they could have been a brother and sister. You have a couple of sisters that are mentioned here, uh, family members, but they know Christ. Uh, and you go through and you look at many of the names that many of the names here listed are names that either slaves or slaves that had been freed uh, would use. And so you have a number of people in this congregation that aren't the ones that you would say are the most important people in the world no they're people who were slaves or people who were freed and and were what we would call just the common people of society that were a part of these things but paul uh, is calling to them and reflecting and saying hello to them because they played an important role in the body of christ which was the church and so you look at this paul's list of talking to people and and calling out to people that he barely knows in some cases they're christians and it doesn't matter what their social status is they're important to the body of christ and so paul is greeting them now i want us to go through and just look at some of these individuals and see what paul notes about them because as you read through there are some that are going to have nothing listed about them there's going to be greeted and there's others that's just going to barely make a statement about it but you read about all these people that paul is greeting there in the church at rome and all of them play a role of some kind and we'll talk about the importance of it but there are some noteworthy individuals some of them only mentioned here in our bible nowhere else but paul makes statements about them one of the first individuals that is mentioned here is the one that is probably the one who's delivering this letter 
It seems that that's the case. And it is that her name is found in verse number one, Phoebe. You find several descriptions of her, really four descriptions of what she's like. You find uh, this statement, Paul says, I commend unto you Phoebe. Uh, It seems like the church at Rome may have not known who she was, but he's saying this is a person I'm commending, recommending to you. And he says this, that she's our sister. She is a servant of the church. Uh, You receive her in the Lord as become a saint, and you assist her in whatever business that she has. And she has been the sucker of many and of myself also. I mean, here's what Paul says about this. He, he indicates the family that, that a church, uh, in a church, there is a family relationship. You know, this is just not a southern thing where you call people in the church brother and sister, so-and-so. No, the apostle Paul is going, here's Phoebe, my sister. You go, was he, she truly a sister? No. But she's part of the family of God. God's the Father. Christ uh, is the one who has saved us, and we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And so he's just noting this. Here's someone I commend, and just for the fact that she's a part of the body of Christ, she knows Christ. She's a sister in Christ. That was one of the things that he commended uh, about her. You say, why is uh, she from uh, the church of Sencrea? You go, why is that important uh, that she's from there? Well, we know that uh, the Apostle Paul, if you look at your end notes uh, and some of the statements that are made, that he is writing from the city of Corinth. He's in the city of Corinth when he writes this letter to Rome, and he's commending Phoebe, who's from the church of Sencrea. And you go, where is that at? Well, do you know a thing about Corinth? It's located on an isthmus. You go, what's an isthmus? Okay, an isthmus is a body of land surrounded on two sides by water. You go, well, what's that like? Uh, ever hear of the Panama Canal? They call it the Isthmus of Panama. On one side, it's got the Atlantic Ocean. The other side, it's got the Pacific Ocean and this land that's in between. Well, Corinth was located on an isthmus, and on the other side of the isthmus was the city of Sencrea. These two churches that were about, or these two cities were about uh, seven miles apart, but there seemed to be a close connection because there were road systems going back and forth between these two towns, because if you wanted to go from one side to the other to get from one body of water to the other's body of water, you'd have to go through these towns. And so there was a close connection between the church at Corinth and the church that Phoebe was a part of in Sencrea. And so there was this close connection, even seen in that, this church at Corinth that Paul's writing from, that there's this individual that is well known from Sincrea, and it's a lady that's a part of this church. And, and you think about what she's described as, is she is a sister, and she is also a servant. Now that, that word servant has been one of controversy. Because the Greek behind this is the word diakonos, deacon. See, the word a deacon uh, is the idea in many different places and used as a noun throughout uh, the New Testament is just simply describing one who is ministering or serving others, is helping others out. But in some cases, when it's used as a noun, it's referring to an official position. And so you might read this, uh, and uh, you see some people attempt to translate it this way. This is one who is a deacon of the church in Sencrea. And they go, well, then there's such things as women deacons. And you go, no, there's not. Okay, in an official position. You go, why is that? Well, read the, the passage in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that gives the qualifications for the two churches, or the, the two church officials. And you go, who are the two church officials? These are the ones that are the official officials in a church. One of them's a pastor, and there's these requirements that the pastor has to be blameless, and there's all sorts of qualifications for a person to be a pastor. And then it goes through, and it talks about deacon and all the terms there are in the masculine tense and then it says the deacon is the husband of one wife the official offices are yes for men and you say well why is that the case it's what god has set up and there's a number of explanations for that but i would say this 
Deacons need to be deaconing. You know, what is deaconing? Serving. It's not really a position of authority. It's a position of, uh, in the sense of service, just as like it is to be a pastor, you're a servant. Uh, and to deacon means to serve, and that's what a deacon ought to be doing. And you say, is that kind of what Phoebe was doing in the church without an official position? And the answer is absolutely. There are sometimes people in, a, in churches that aren't in a deacon's position that serve on a greater level than even deacons. They're really deaconing. And you say, was Phoebe doing that? Phoebe must have been somebody because when Paul is mentioning her, the first characteristics he says, she is a servant, a minister, one who is ministering to this church in Sincrea. Now you go, okay, how was she doing this? Well, it's kind of explained in verse 2. Okay, this woman, you're supposed to receive her in the Lord, has become a saint, and that you assist her in whatever business she had need of you. Paul goes, she's coming into the city of Rome. She's coming here to do some things in the city of Rome. What they were, we don't know. But uh, she is there, and Paul says to the church, what you, do, what you can do is that you give her whatever she needs to help her in her ministry, whatever it is. We're not told what business she has in Rome. But it goes even further. This is a woman who, as you see in verse, uh, at the end of verse number 2, he uses this kind of middle english term we don't use a whole lot for she hath been a sucker of many and of myself also you go what does that mean we would use that term today and use this kind of term to describe what she's doing she is a benefactor as far as we can tell she was a wealthy woman in this church that idea of benefactor means, in other cases, would be translated the word patron. And we have a person who's a patron of someone else. Uh, this means they're giving them money to accomplish things. You have people who are patrons for artists and that type of thing. Artists don't make a whole lot of money. Uh, but if they can find a patron that's paying for them to do things, you know, they're getting money from this person uh, to do those type of things. Well, what it sounds like in this church is that this uh, Phoebe is one who has the church in her house in Sencrea, which means her house is large enough to do this. But when it comes to the ministries of the church, she is benefiting the ministries of the church and helping people in that church with what God had given her financially. She's a benefactor. She's using her goods and her wealth uh, to be someone who is not just merely living for this life, but is living for the life to come. She's using her goods knowing that when she dies, they'll no longer be hers. They'll be someone else's. And so she is finding ways to help and minister to people. So Paul's just simply going, and when she's in Rome, if she needs anything, help her out because she's the type of person, if she's in her own home church and doing things there, she's helping people out there financially by ministering to them by time and strength and energy. You help this woman out because she's helped me out she's helped others out her testimony is one that is worthy of exemplifying and being like as thinking about this phoebe is not unusual in the history of the church there are women in the church that were great benefactors in the church i can think of the first church established in europe in a city called philippi do we remember the first person to get converted there Lydia, a seller of purple, of pur yeah, purple. Uh, and it was a seller of this, and that the church met in her house, which means she's got the space to do that. So she's a wealthy woman, and she's one who had great impact. And you think of that church at Philippi, it's the one that church, the, the one church that Paul seems to have almost no bad points about, and he recommends and commends regularly. But here you have Lydia, who is one of these people who has a role in this. I think in church history, there are a number of women like this. I think of one uh, woman by the name of Selena, who was known as the Countess of Huntington. You say, who is she? Well, she played a major role during the Great Awakening, where God was using individuals like George Whitfield and John Wesley to convert thousands in England and in the United States. What she was, was an individual by the 
title being a countess had a lot of money and a lot of property and what she decided when she got saved was to be a person to aid and minister to the traveling ministers and you think about this with wesley had a lot of these men going from place to place these circuit preachers and these type of things that were preaching and they needed money because they weren't getting money from their evangelistic work and so she ended up housing and taking care of a number of these individuals as they went around and gave the gospel uh, and did this and was an encouragement to people like whitfield and wesley that she was personal friends to them uh, and helping them in their ministries and so even with uh, church history you have individuals in positions of women who are in uh, positions of wealth and influence in society that are ones who have great impact upon church history the history of church and things that went on there and so you have phoebe who is recommended and commended as she's coming with this letter that the apostle paul has but now paul in verse two, two excuse me three starts commending certain individuals and the first one you kind of go oh i know who these people are priscilla and aquila i've heard uh, this name before and you go well what what do we know about priscilla and aquila well these are individuals paul had met in the city of corinth when he was there paul when he comes to corinth is uh, in a city that he's never been in and oftentimes what the apostle paul did is that he worked in order to gain the finances he needed to support his ministry because there wasn't a church there yet supporting him and so he would work well here he had aquila and priscilla and they were in the business of making tents and it was a, a fairly lucrative business it seems like because aquila and priscilla were quite wealthy but the apostle paul himself worked with them because he in his youth had been uh, involved in tent making and so he ended up working with them but it wasn't just merely that the apostle paul worked with them they seemed to be a great influence in the church spiritually in fact you read the story when paul leaves uh, corinth he takes aquila and priscilla with him in acts chapter 18 and they get to ephesus and paul says listen you stay here there's not a church here yet but what i'm going to do is tell you stay here and i'll be back i'm going to jerusalem i'm going to come back here if you just wait here and that and it's not that aquila and priscilla are like well we can't do anything for christ the apostle paul's not here now we have to wait for him no they go to the local synagogue where the, the the old testament scriptures are read and preached and so they went there uh to be a part of the services that were there in the jewish synagogue and there is a man who comes in there by the name of apollos and apollos is preaching with fervency he's preaching about jesus but all he knows about is the baptism of john the baptist he knows nothing else about christ's ministry and as you read the story uh, after the service, it sounds like, uh, as you read this, that Aquila and Priscilla, but Priscilla in the lead, it seems like, comes up to Apollos and goes, do you know that there's more about this Jesus that you don't know? You only know about the baptism of, of John. That's all you know about. But there's a whole lot more to this story of Jesus. You're fervent about preaching uh, repentance of sins and preparing for a king. Well, the king's come. He's died on a cross. And so you have this section in Acts chapter 18 where they teach Apollos and make things clear to him to the point where he starts preaching Christ with power. You say, well, how do I know that he preached Christ with power? Well, you read out uh, in the letter to 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, he goes to the church at Corinth and they're excited to have him as a preacher. In fact, some people like him better as a preacher than the apostle Paul. But he, he was influenced and impacted by two church members, you might put it this way. This husband and wife team, and seemingly uh, from the way at times uh, is the name is listed, Priscilla comes first, which is kind of unusual uh, in the writings of uh, ancient literature, which seems to indicate the fact that either she was a woman of wealth or that she was the more prominent of the personality in that family. But whatever the case was, these individuals, wherever they went, they were church members, they weren't preachers, they weren't anything like that, but they were going around and having impact on people that was eternal, influential. And as Paul is now writing, you see here in this church that he says this, Greet to Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks 
We have no account of what happened where they were able to risk their own lives for the saving of the Apostle Paul. The only occasion that we think might even be connected with this is when Paul is in Ephesus and everybody's really mad that Paul is preaching and they're losing all sorts of income because no one's going to the local idol temple and in fact people are burning these things down and so they're hauling Paul or they're attempting to haul Paul into an amphitheater with a raging crowd. And it may have been that they kept Paul from going in there because there were people in that church that said, don't go in there, Paul. And they may have risked their life on that occasion, but we don't know. It says Paul wrestled in 1 Corinthians 15 that Paul wrestled with wild animals, perhaps in a Colosseum type setting. We don't know. There are occasions, that a lot of things that happen in Paul's ministry that we don't have recorded in the book of Acts where he had near-death experiences. He catalogs them some occasions where he just says this and this and this happened to me. And we're like, where did that story happen? But somewhere along the line, Aquila and Priscilla had risked their own life to keep Paul safe. Some way, shape, or form. And so Paul mentions this, and then he says this, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles uh, likewise greet the church that is in their house. Everywhere they go that they've been, people are like, oh, Aquila and Priscilla, we remember when they were here. You know, they were fantastic people and the ministry that they had and the impact that they had in my life. And it seems like everywhere they went, they were doing this and they were just merely church members. Okay, not person who's officially in a position of some kind in ministry. They were just people being Christians wherever they went and having impact. And now that they're in Rome, see, they had originally been in Rome, they got kicked out to Corinth because, well, Claudius, who was the emperor at the time, said everybody who's a Jew get out of town. And so they fled to Corinth, and that's when Paul met them. They're now back in Rome. And Paul says, I'm greeting them and the people that are in their house for church. And so you have this couple, Aquila and Priscilla, who had great impact But then you have some others that are lesser known. It seems like as you read through verses 3 through 7, these are people that Paul knew fairly well from ministry and having spent some time with them. You get past in verse 8, it's less known or perhaps never having met them. But Paul makes comment as you read verse number 5, he talks about Epinatus, who was of the first fruits of Acacia Acacia unto Christ. And you say, well, was this the first person that Paul led to Christ? when he was in Acacia, and you go, where's Acacia? Uh, this is where Corinth and other places are located. Was uh, Epinatus the first person that Paul led to Christ in that region? Possibly. Paul's just noting this is the, the first one I led the Lord, and I remember uh, having opportunity to be with him. He calls him beloved. Or as you get into verse number seven, you see in Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen, and they that title is just simply that they were jews we don't know if this is a brother or sister or 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 a a husband and a wife but paul makes this note these individuals were my fellow prisoners going when were they have been fellow prisoners with the apostle paul we don't know paul isn't hasn't spent his two years in jail in caesarea nor two years in rome yet so there's some other occasion where paul spent time in prison and they were with him You say, was that a pleasant experience for them? No, think about uh, when Paul was in prison in Philippi, he had just been beaten and so was Silas. And being in jail at that time was not a comfortable thing. But these individuals, his brother and sister, husband and wife, uh, they had a testimony for Christ and were willing to be jailed uh, with the Apostle Paul for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I mean, these individuals, verse 7, Paul says this, these are individuals who are of note among the Apostles. These two, which we have recorded nowhere else in Scripture, these are individuals that knew the apostles. What they were doing was helping out the ministry of different apostles. In what way, we don't know, but they're there to help. Even if it is that, they would end up in prison. They were willing to risk that. You have some lesser-known individuals, as we said, in verse 8 and following. It seems like these are people that Paul knew less about, but 
there are some humorous things and some good things to, to note out of this list of people who are located there in that church at Rome. You have these uh, individuals in verse 12, salute uh, Tryphena and Tryphosa, and you say, well, who are these? Well, as best as we can figure out, these two women are sisters, probably twins, because they have similar sounding names. And you go, well, what did their names mean? Uh, Their names meant dainty and delicate. Okay, that's what their name meant. Now look at how they're described. Salute these two who labor in the Lord. And that word labor is the, you know, the, the term that's the strongest term. They're toiling. They are hard workers. They're not, you know, oh, I can't do any work. I might break a nail, this type of thing. No. As one has described them, uh, Paul employs some irony here because he calls uh, them women who work hard in the Lord using a word that means labor to the point of exhaustion, dainty and delicate, yes, but dynamite comes in small packages. It seems like these individuals, though they may have been dainty and delicate, when you saw what they were doing, you're going, wow, what are they accomplishing and where are they getting the strength to do that? But they've got all sorts of energy to accomplish things for the Lord. You see, at the end of that verse, you see a person named Persis. And you say, well, what does that look like? You you add an A to the end of that name and take off an S, and it's got something that sounds like Persia. And very well may have been that this is a woman who is from the land of Persia. You say, where's that? Iran? And that she is somehow here in the church at Rome. And it was also that uh, this name is... uh, could have been gentile could have been jewish we don't know but it seems like she's a complete foreigner to the region she's in in rome but she's there she's part of the church and she's having impact as she's described this is one who labored much in the lord she's one who's working hard and she's known for her work you get to verse 13 and you have this one salute rufus chosen in the lord and his mother and mine and you go Who's Rufus? Well, Rufus is someone, if you read the book of Mark, that we have named. He had a famous father. His his father was famous not for any position of authority that he had. It's just that he happened to be walking somewhere one day when he got pulled in to carry something for somebody else. Their dad was Simon of Cyrene, the one who was pulled in to carry the cross of christ he was coming in from a field and he was then hauled in by roman soldiers to carry the cross of christ and mark notes this that he is the father of alexander and rufus you're going what does that mean well rufus was a prominent member of the church at rome Uh, mark wrote the his gospel for romans for people of Rome uh, and there. And he wrote his uh, gospel for that. And so they would have known as they read Mark, oh yeah, Rufus, who's in our church. That Rufus. Oh, the one who carried, his dad carried the cross. Well, how Paul notes this, he goes, I note Rufus and his mother and mine. Kind of like, so Paul is calling Simon of Cyrene's wife, his mother. It seems like from this wording that Paul spent some time with this family. In fact, it seems that he spent enough time in this home that it was like he had a mom. That Rufus's mom had become kind of the mom to Paul. She was taking care of him probably once he was uh, saved and, and this, that Paul was kind of a stranger to a lot of people and wasn't welcomed anywhere. And it seems like he might have gotten housing with this family. So you have people like that just merely uh, serving the Lord by allowing somebody to be part of their family for a time. So you have Rufus that's mentioned here. And you have all these other individuals that are named here that Paul is saying these people have important roles, but we aren't told exactly what they're doing. But they go, in a sense, they're named, but their work goes nameless. And Paul goes, these people are important in Christ. They're doing a great work. Greet them. And so you see Paul just genuinely loving people. Just like the Lord loves people. 
No, as Christians, you ought to love other Christians, and it ought to be genuine. And you say, well, how do we, uh, you know, how do we know that to be the case? Well, look at verse number 16. This is always one of great controversy. Salute one another with an holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. I mean, think about this. This is the way that people used to greet one another, and in some cultures, they still greet one another this way. I learned this real quick when I was in France. I was with the Dodelaires. We were at a New Year's Eve service, and I was the preacher that night. And I knew no words of uh, French, but Bernard told me this. He said, hold your hand out to shake people's hands. And I really didn't take his advice right up front, but I had uh, at least two men and a woman uh, come up to me, and of course they go and they kiss one side of your cheek and the other side of your face, and they do this. They really don't kiss you. They kind of go by your ear and go you know, and that type of thing. But, you know, they still do that. And some cultures do that. And uh, I was just like, okay, you know what? I'm the American. I can get away with this. I put my hand out and I was shaking hands and they were okay with that. Uh, they're used to greeting people that way. And I was like, no, but it didn't really, you know, they were doing that and they were greeting with a holy kiss. I didn't know who they were. I couldn't speak their language. But they know they knew this that's a preacher and he's coming to preach us to uh, preach to us the word this evening and their joy and the smile on their face as they were greeting you and they were saying all sorts of things that you're nodding your head and you're smiling and you're looking for some uh interpretation for you and then later on as i preached through the interrupter and uh they were explaining what i was preaching the joy that they had and we had a prayer service together and I prayed with people. I have no idea what they prayed. But that New Year's Eve service, two o'clock in the morning, we're praying away and there was a joy of being with other believers. There ought to be, as the Apostle Paul is just simply saying here, salute one another with an holy kiss. There ought to be in your own soul, because Christ has affection for his own children and his brothers and sisters, he, we ought to have that same kind of affection for other believers. Just a delight to be with them. There's a sincerity about loving other Christians. It ought to be a part of the, the ministry. And you say, is that the case? Well, when you get to 1 John and the Apostle, Apostle John is writing there, uh, there is uh, many different passages where he's just simply saying this, if you don't love being with the brethren or the cistern, okay, if you don't like being with them, then there may be this, that you're just not one who has put your faith in Christ. You may not be a believer, I mean, if you don't like other Christians and you don't want to be with other Christians and there's not a delight going, oh, that person's a Christian, great, I know who they are. They know Jesus too. If there's not that kind of delight and affection in knowing other Christians and being with them and having an opportunity to be around them, there's something wrong. Once put it this way, we must be, as it, we, the world would call it, people persons. If we are businessmen and business keeps us going so fast that people are just merely robots for us, something is wrong. If we're scholars devoted to our books, we must remember that our books should not be an ends in themselves, but platforms to launch us up to God and towards others. The names of people around us must be important to us. We should remember them because we care. Secondly, because we are, are to be affectionate like Christ. You know, we ought to know uh, people in our congregation and delight to be around other Christians. It ought to just be the thing that flows out of us. I mean, Paul's serving here as an example. He is showing this. And so for us, for a, a body of Christ to be functioning properly, there ought to be this affection that you see in this letter of the Apostle Paul for people he hasn't even met in some cases. He's just delighted they're in Christ that they're serving him, they're part of that church, and he's writing their names out in, in declaration of this. And so that's one thing that we can learn from a, a list like this. We don't know any of these people, but what can we learn from it? We ought to be people who are excited to meet other Christians. But secondly, this, it's this, that the Apostle Paul shows for us that every 
person is important in the church. Everyone. See, this is something the apostle had already tried to get across to the congregation. Remember, they had Gentiles and Jews in this congregation. As you read through chapters 14 and 15, there's difficulties with them getting along. You have the weak and the strong and those type of things. And they have difficulty getting along with one another. But the Apostle Paul before that had reminded them that they were all interconnected. We're not lone rangers when it comes to doing the work of God. We need help. I want us to turn back to Romans chapter 12 and verse 3 because this is right after the most, one of the most famous passages in uh, the book of Romans where it ta- tells us this, that after we found out we're saved and we've enjoyed all the blessings of salvation, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable in God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Okay, so he says, listen, you can approve what's the right thing for you to do. Here's the next verse. For I say unto you, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body... He's talking about the church here. We've got many members in this one body, this body of Christ that's being represented here. And all members have not the same office. So we being many are one body in Christ and every one members one of another. Every member is important to every other member. Verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that's given to us. We've all got different abilities and talents and responsibilities in this church what God's given to us. Well, verse uh, 6 continues, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or verse 7, or ministry, let us wait uh, on our ministering. Or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, or he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, let, and he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. You need everyone in the church. And we have this reflectiveness. As you see the the word one another, you just ought to think of interconnectedness. Every organ of your body is needed by every other organ of your body. When certain organs get removed, uh, some of you have had this happen in your life, there's all sorts of things that get out of balance. You have to take medications to actually make up for some of the imbalance that takes place. Well, so it is. We are, and you say, well, my, my significance is not important, as important as somebody else. It's the argument of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. We have people going, well, I'm just merely a foot in the body, and I'm not the eye. You know, I wish I was like the eye. And no, well, if you didn't have the feet, the eyes could go nowhere. Everything's important, and so it is, as Paul marks out people who were well, you know, well-known and people doing things in the church, but he's talking about others who are ones who are okay and being in the background, but they're still serving the Lord. They're ministering behind the scenes and, and the quiet things and, and doing things for people that never go really noticed, but they're a part of the church reflecting Christ one to another. Paul says everyone in the church is important. You play a role. You not being uh, here for for church services, it's something where you just kind of go, oh, you know what? You're you're, you're missing out being ministered to by others and you're missing out being ministers to other people. Just simple conversations in the aisle can be something that have impact for years to come. And so we all are important and so as we go through a list like this the apostle paul showing us fellowship is so vitally important as christians we ought to delight knowing other christians but everyone is important to the work of god we need each other we need each other's help and as you start off this whole thing i'm reminded of the fact phoebe our sister we're brothers and sisters in christ we're a family too not just part of a body, uh, but all of those things. And so as a church, we ought to reflect that. And so Paul's listing of greetings here with people that we will not meet until we get to glory is just a good reminder for us. We're important to one another. And we're important uh, to each other 
and hopefully there is a genuine love like Christ has for us, for other believers. We're excited to know other Christians. That ought to be our delight. Lord, we thank you. There's a lot of different personalities in this room. Most of these people would claim to know Jesus Christ. And Lord, we need each other. You minister grace through people. And Lord, help us to be genuinely delighted and excited to be able to say, I know Christians in this community. I've been able to visit with them. They're good friends of mine. Not only are they in the same church, these are people that I I fellowship with regularly, that we have opportunities to encourage one another all the time. And we're reflecting what Christ has done in our life to others who have had Christ do a work in their life. So Lord, let us uh, be reminded of that. And even as we go to other locations uh, in our travels or wherever we're at, uh, may we be delighted to, to meet other Christians to joy in what the Lord has done in saving them and, and uh, minister to people like that and be excited to know Christians not only here, but around the world. Lord, we love you. We thank you for saving us. May we uh, do the work that you've left us here for to encourage and strengthen other believers and then be lights to those that don't know Christ. They don't know Jesus as Savior. May we be the lights for them and delight when they come to know Christ and make them uh, somebody that's a friend for life and for eternity. So Lord, we love you. We thank you for saving us, changing us. May we live like people who are genuinely interested in people for whom you died. In this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Hymn of ending here uh, before we get to announcements is hymn number 187. Blessed be the tie that binds. You say, well, who's the, what's the tie that binds? It's a person. It's Christ. Okay, so there's thanksgiving in this song for the tie that binds. But this song is all about the relationship of believers to one another. Uh, I, this song is kind of stuck in my mind because at the end of our Lord's Supper when I was a kid, we'd sing this every time and they never had a hymn book and I was guessing at what the words are and we made up words because we didn't know what it was. You've got the words in front of you this morning, okay? And I want you to just sing this song realizing this is a song about uh, Christ and what he's done now amongst us as far as believers, what he can do, what our opportunities are uh, for one another in the church. And so uh, it is uh, number 181 or 187, excuse me, uh, 187. And uh, we'll go ahead and sing all four verses of it. I I tried to pick some uh, different verses and I said, you know what, uh, let's just go ahead and sing the whole thing. So we'll sing all four verses of blessed be the tie that binds number 187. So let's go ahead and stand.